All right, if you would, turn in the Bible to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Oh, I was supposed to light these before it came up. This is week three of the Advent season. So we light our third candle. We've been following along with the devotional book. Week one was promise needed. The state of the world, our sinfulness, leaves us in position where we need an answer from God. We cannot save ourselves, fix ourselves. We cannot find the solution on the inside. We need God and his message and his promises. So our first week was promise needed. The second week was promise made, and it looks to the beautiful hope that we have from God that he does make promises. Whatever it is that you and I need deep down, he gives it. What a beautiful thing that is. May everybody that has an opportunity to know God and know about God and know people that believe in God, may they know that, that whatever you need, not what you want, whatever you need can be met and fulfilled and satisfied in God. Promise made was our second week's theme. Last week I preached from Isaiah where it said the stump of Jesse will have a shoot. There will be life. There will be a king that comes out of this dead tree, this stump. And that's a promise, just one of the promises made. Well, week three, if you keep turning, gets to promise expected. Promise anticipated. We've been using both of those words with this Advent series Promise expected, promise anticipated. And what that means is, it's what we're going to focus on today from Luke chapter 1. What that means is the people that know God, who have heard his promises, believe them. They believe the promises of God. And so we spend our lives waiting, hoping, trusting, longing, expecting and anticipating that God will do what he said he will do. That's how you and I are living. And the promise that we wait for these days is for Christ to return and to save us. We're studying Revelation, taking a break through it right now in, in December. We'll be back to finish Revelation in January. But in Revelation, it has told us that Christ is the king, he's the conqueror, and he's the judge of the world. And one day soon, he's coming back. The Bible says it over and over again. He's coming soon, he's coming soon, he's coming soon. And we look for that, we long for that, we wait for that. Promises of God, the promises of God, are expected and anticipated. We don't wonder whether he's going to uh, fulfill his promises. We don't wonder whether he's going to keep his promises. We believe him. We know the great work that he's done in our hearts. Our sins are forgiven. We've been made new. There is a life and a power. There is a living hope inside of us. There is no doubt there's no question, there's no hesitation whether God is real and true and our Father. We know it. He's done that work in us through Christ. Where we're living now is just waiting, expecting, anticipating for him to do that, for him to finish it up, for him to bring it to completion. Well, in the New Testament time, it was the same. And that's a part of the story that is often missed. And so I'm, I'm excited this morning for you and I to get into this passage. The, the story of Christmas is so bizarre, if you will, virgin birth. It really is. Young Mary, never known a man with child. It's bizarre. And so often it comes to us as such a wild, something we've never heard of before. So often it comes to us like that. And we're left thinking that, that that's kind of the miracle of it. God just did this crazy thing, and that's our salvation. And that kind of works. I mean, if you want shock factor, that works. But that's not exactly how the story goes. The key characters in the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, wise men, these people were not at all shocked that their Savior had come. They had been waiting for him. The shocking part of it is how it happened, a virgin birth. That is shocking. 
But they weren't believing the Old Testament scriptures. They had been believing the promises of God. They knew the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew the story of Adam and Eve and Noah. They knew the story of King David and his throne. They knew the story of the stump of Jesse. They knew the promises of God. They knew them, they knew them, they knew them. And they waited and longed for that. They did. So that when Mary is told this incredible thing, This true message, you have found favor in the eyes of God. Mary says, what? How? How can this be? And they explain, God is making you pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the baby inside of you will be great. He will be called mighty. He is the son of the most high. And he will be the savior. And Mary says, Okay, let it be. Do your thing, God. Have your way. Your will be done. She believed. She knew that God is a Savior God, and she longed for God, the Savior God, to save. Now, nobody knew exactly how that was going to unfold, but they knew that the God who makes promises to people who need promises is a God who keeps his promises. And so where we find ourselves is anticipating and expecting the promises of God. That's week three. The intro to week three says this. God first promised to bring salvation to his people some 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden. That salvation came in the person of Jesus around 2,000 years ago. That means that for about 4,000 years, the people of God were looking and waiting for the day when God would do what he promised to do. Does everybody hear that? That means for years and years, they believed God, they trusted him, and they just were waiting for him to do what he said he would do. Believing, not doubting, but believing. Many of the passages in the prophetic books of the Old Testament are records of this longing. The prophets looked at the world around them and saw the sins of Israel. They saw God's judgment being poured out in response to this sin. Yet, they still believed what God had said to their fathers. They knew that he would do what he had promised to do. They looked ahead to the day when God would keep his promises and save his people. That's what this Sunday is about, that God is a promise-giving God, a promise-keeping God, and so until he keeps those promises, we wait with hope, we trust, we believe. Look with me, if you will, at Luke chapter 1. Matt read earlier verses 39 to 45. This is where Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth has been with child for some six months already. Mary is now with child, and these cousins are just having a moment together. They're both thrilled for each other, and they are both humbled at the truthful faithfulness of God. God is doing what he promised he would do. What's crazy about it is that he is keeping his salvation promises through their lives, through their experiences, through their marriages, and through their love relationships, through their wombs, if you will. Mary and Elizabeth are having this incredible moment together. And then, right after verse 45, which Matt stopped at, we get to verse 46. This is called Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. The reason why it's called that is because that's the first word in the Latin version of the Bible, and it's just the word for magnifies. In English, it begins by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. Once again, Andrew Crawford has done a fantastic job with song choice because we just sang the very song that sings this passage. That's excellent. What better way for you and I to be ready to hear a word, a sermon on this passage than to sing a song that includes this passage? Thank you for that, Andrew. But this is Mary's song of praise, and it is one of the richest passages in Scripture. I hope that you're familiar with it. Mary is somebody that knows her Bible. 
Mary is somebody that knows the promises of God. And let me take that a step further. The young Mary is somebody who knows the God who gave those promises. Mary was not some young, random girl that just so happened to have God go to work inside of her. Now, we don't want to take Mary too far. She's nothing extraordinary. She's an ordinary lady like everybody else. She is a sinful in her own right. we got to make sure that our church's belief and doctrine is fitting with the Scriptures. Never elevate Mary to a place other than her being a regular old sinful person. But in her being a sinner in need of a Savior, she knew her God and Savior. This passage is so rich. This passage is filled with quotes from the Old Testament. This passage is built off of Hannah's song from 1 Samuel 2. If you've ever studied this before, you notice very quickly the parallels and the similarities connected to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. It's fascinating. Mary recognizes her place in the blessing of God like Hannah found herself in the blessing of God when she could not have children but ended up being pregnant with Samuel. This all comes out in Mary's song here. It's rich. In years past, I have preached the whole song, 46 to 55. Today, though, I want to look at just one verse, verse 50. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary has just found out that she's pregnant. She connects with her cousin Elizabeth. She's pregnant. And she breaks out into song. And the song she breaks out into is filled with the truth of what her God is like. It's filled with truth of what the God who has made her pregnant is like. It's a song that comes from somebody who believes. It's a song that comes from somebody who believes truth. It's a song that comes from somebody that believes truth and promises from a God who is a loving and saving God who gives promises purposefully and intentionally to comfort his people. Luke chapter 1 verse 50 is a whole sermon in itself. Today I want us to look at that short verse. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. My first point this morning is, number one, expecting his mercy. For you kids that are using the listening pages, that's the first point, expecting his mercy. I'm using the word expecting there because the theme today is uh, expected, promise expected, anticipating the promises of God. And when you find out that you're pregnant with the Savior of the world, that God has done this miracle in you, okay, and you understand what God is doing in you by way of sending the Savior into the world, all this that's unfolding in real time in Mary's life, and when that happens and you start singing and mercy is what comes to mind, that shows you that she knows a merciful God. Your mind doesn't go to the mercy of God if you don't know the mercy of God. That's just as true as true gets. You don't find yourself praising God for his mercy if God has not been merciful to you. You'll find yourself getting hard-hearted. You'll find yourself getting jealous and envious. You'll find yourself getting bitter and starting to point fingers and blame. You'll find yourself asking questions like, why, God? God, why you put me through all this? God, right now really ain't the time for me to be getting pregnant. We'll find ourselves feeling all sorts of way except mercy. Mary, knowing the God that's doing this great work in the world through her, turns to mercy. That word showing up here alone is absolutely fascinating. And it's not just mercy, it's his mercy. And it's fascinating that we have the word mercy here because Luke's gospel is one of the longest books in the New Testament. There's 24 chapters here in Luke. And in all 24 chapters of Luke, the word mercy is only found 10 times. Luke doesn't use the word mercy that much. 
He doesn't use the word mercy that much. Ten times in the Gospel of Luke. But you know what? The word mercy is found five times in chapter one. This is fascinating. If I had asked you before we started today, hey, tell me a passage in the Gospels that's about mercy. You'd have thought of some. You'd have thought of the woman at the well, right? You'd have thought of somebody that's gotten in trouble. You'd have thought of the prodigal son returning and the way the father received him. You'd have thought of some of them big, bad, ugly scenes, the woman caught in adultery and he was without sin, cast the first stone. Those are pictures of mercy, aren't they? I don't think anybody, seriously, I don't think anybody would have turned to the birth narratives of the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke for mercy. But this is the very thing that Luke is emphasizing. There are only 10 mentions of mercy in the Gospel of Luke, and five of them come out of chapter 1. Let me show those to you. Verse 50 is the first one, Luke 1:50. his mercy. Jump down to verse 54. This is still Mary's song. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Mercy. Jump over to verse 58. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. I'm telling you, it's fascinating that mercy is a theme here. She's pregnant by God. She's a young girl pregnant by God. And that's a sign of mercy? Like, like what? It might be weird. It might be crazy. It might be a gift. It might be grace. If you want to try to spin it in a good way, it might be grace. But how's it Mercy. How is God holding back from her a a judgment on her? How is it mercy? And yet this is the very thing that Luke is emphasizing. Look at verse 72. We're now over into Zechariah's prophecy. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. Jump down to verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Mercy, surprisingly enough, becomes a theme of Christmas in the birth narratives. Again, the birth narratives are Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. These are the only places in the New Testament, in the whole Bible, that really give emphasis to telling us the story of how Jesus came to earth. How did he become a man? How did God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus, how did he become a human? That's Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 telling us these stories. And what we're seeing here is mercy. Mary was expecting mercy with her life. How? Why? Well, mercy, listen to me, mercy from God assumes our sinfulness. This is a trying point for you today. This really becomes a dividing line between those that really believe, those that really trust, and those that just say they do. This is one of those drawing a line between the nominal Christian and the true believer in Christ, the the born again, the follower of Christ. Because mercy from God assumes our sinfulness. Mercy does not know us to be good and deserving of love. When Christianity for you or for me or for anybody else is seen as we're good or or we're, we're doing the best we can and therefore this good God ought to be a certain way to us, it does not include mercy. It misses the entire point. Mercy from God knows us to be sinful and therefore in need of God's mercy. If we fail to get mercy and understand mercy, if we fail to get this point, we will not know the sweetness of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jesus will not be that important to us. We'll love Christmas. We'll love church. We'll love those great songs that do so much inside of us. We'll love all the things of God, the gifts of God, the blessings of God. But we won't actually love the Savior that we need because we have not thought that we needed the mercy. Of God. We have not thought that we need Him to pull back His judgment or pull back His wrath. We have not thought that we needed to have our sinful problem fixed. Jesus will not be everything to you if you do not recognize your sins and need for mercy. Mary understands this. In finding herself pregnant and breaking into song, she speaks of His mercy. Now, two real easy working definitions that we use a lot are grace is getting something you don't deserve, 
Somebody gives you a gift, that was grace. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. If you're in trouble and you need to be judged or something bad needs to happen to you, and they don't, they withhold it, that's mercy, right? If somebody's ready to beat you up and they got you in a headlight and they got you down on the ground, they say, you say one more word, boy, I'm about to tear you up. And then they just let go, they show mercy. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And all of us humans, all of us here today, fine church-going people right here in Fairdale, we have sinned against God. We don't deserve his goodness. He doesn't owe us anything. We've transgressed him. We've disobeyed. We've not been all that he's asked us to be. We've not done all that he's asked us to do. We've not loved him purely from heart. We have sinned against God. And God should judge sinners because he's perfect. But in his goodness, he's merciful. Mary knows this. Mary is thinking about this through pregnancy. Hey, guys, the next time your wife is pregnant and it's so challenging, see who would dare be the first one to bring up mercy. Look to the mercy of God in pregnancy. Mary does it. Mary sings about it. But see, mercy is not just important in this Christmas story. Mercy is important in every story. Expecting the mercy of God is what it means to believe. Your life and your faith and your home and every relationship you have has to have, must contain the elements of mercy. This is the way it goes. In order to be in a relationship with God, anybody, in order to be a real Christian and a believer in God and a follower of Christ, mercy must be a key component. You must know that you sinned against God and you need his mercy. This is what Mary does know. To make that a little bit more clear, look at chapter 1, 77 to 78. Again, this is Zechariah's prophecy, but listen to how he speaks about the relationship with God. He, in speaking about the coming of the Savior, says, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Zechariah here says, that the knowledge of salvation, being saved, which comes through the forgiveness of sins, you need God to forgive you according to the tender mercy of God. If you're here today and you're wanting to make it to heaven, you're wanting to know God, you're needing your sins forgiven, you need to know God has mercy for you. Mary knew that, and she sang about it. The anger that rightfully comes up in a holy God that has his people like me and like you sinning against him, that rightful good wrath that God has towards sin, he's holding back in his mercy and extending his mercy to you through what Christ has done on the cross. And you must believe that. Rick Warren, in his little devotional book on Christmas, gets to the heart of this needing mercy. Listen to this. Much of world history is the story of conflict. During the past 5,560 years, there have been nearly 15,000 wars in our world. And these are only the wars that we know about. As I write this, there are 32 large and small wars going on in the world right now. We human beings don't seem to be very good at living in peace with one another. We are much better at disagreeing, fighting, and feuding. A hundred years ago, popular sentiment, and I know this, I've read this. A few hundred years ago, popular sentiment believed that if we could just get the world educated, all the, war, all the wars would vanish. But after two world wars occurred among the most educated nations on the planet, that naive optimism has vanished. Without a transformation of the heart, 
Education simply allows us to think up more sophisticated ways to kill one another. There are many brilliant people in prison. An educated mind does not automatically produce a peaceful heart. What the world desperately needs is reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of peace. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace in your own heart. It is the powerful miracle cure for broken lives and relationships. Reconciliation diffuses conflict and turns chaos into calmness. It quiets quarrels. It swaps your stress for God's serenity. It turns tension into tranquility. And it produces peace of mind instead of panic or pressure. But the spirit of reconciliation seems to be in short supply today. It is very true that what the world needs in order to have peace is reconciliation. He's right about that. But in order for us to understand reconciliation better, and you know this through every one of your experiences, there is no reconciliation until somebody will show mercy. That's the truth. If somebody will not relent, if somebody will not show kindness and love, if somebody will not be willing to forgive, then there will be no reconciling. This is why God is the best. He has a heart of tender mercy. And when the Savior came to Mary, she knew the merciful God was doing what he does. She was expecting his mercy. Look at chapter one, verse 47. As she begins this song, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices, look at this phrase, in God my Savior. You don't speak of God as your Savior unless you know that you need saving. You don't speak of God as your Savior unless you know that you need saving and forgiveness from your sins, which Mary did. Mary was expecting God's mercy. Yes, it is a most fascinating way how Jesus entered the world, but she knew God was a promise-keeping, saving God, and she trusted it all the way through. Let me give you an illustration that helps with mercy. This summer, when we were traveling back from uh, visiting family from, from out of town, I got pulled over on I-40 driving through the mountains by a police officer. I've been pulled over before in my life, and it's not as embarrassing when you're by yourself. You just don't tell anybody, and nobody knows, and then you just swallow it, right? But when you have a wife and five kids in the car and the cop comes up, it's, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating, and kids ask a thousand questions about it, and you really don't want to answer. When a cop has his lights on behind you and he walks up to the side of you, there's a lot of thoughts that go through your mind, right? A lot of thoughts. You're scared. You're worried. This is out of state. How much is it going to cost? Is it going to affect insurance? You know, what do I do? How bad is it? Is he going to arrest me? You know, are all my tags right? Am I, do I have my insurance right? You know, am I going to jail right now? Like, what, what's going on here? All of those thoughts go through your mind. And the biggest thought that goes through your mind is, will he just be nice and have mercy? Will he just give me a warning, please? Right? And everybody thinks that. You know what you never think? You never think, I hope he knows how good of a driver I am. I wonder how long he's been following me and if he saw all the good things I did. I wonder if he saw me use my turn signal as I changed lanes. I wonder if he saw me break when the little caution sign was up. You know, I wonder if he saw how good I am. I wonder if he noticed my seatbelt's on. I wonder if he knows that we've got a car full of luggage and that's kind of stressful. I wonder if he knows how good of I drive. I didn't think any of those things. I didn't. And the reason why is because he saw my transgression. I don't know how much of my driving he saw, but I know he saw the speeding. He saw that. And in that moment, you know this to be so real 
You don't ever think about all the good you've done. You're just aware of the at least one wrong thing you did. This is the way it is with God. It is so foolish. If you wouldn't be that way to a cop, don't be that way to your God. Oh, God, I've done a few good things. How much of my life have you been watching, God? Because I know there's some sins there. But what about all the good things I've been doing, God? Didn't you see those too? If you don't think that way with a cop, please don't think that way with your God. Be aware of the transgressions that you know you've done. Be aware that God knows the transgressions that you've done. Feel that burden. Feel that conviction. Admit that sinfulness. Stop being like the worldly person, the lost person, the person that does not know God and continues to think, I hope I've done enough good to tip the scales and that God's this kind of like judge up there that's going to side eye and see if I've been good enough. No, no, no. Know God the way the Bible presents him, the way he has unfolded himself to us. Know him the way that Mary does and say, he is a merciful God. God is a merciful God. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the virgin birth is all about. That's what the coming of Jesus Christ is all about. That's what him growing up is about and the cross is about and the death of him is about and the resurrection is about, that he is a merciful God. And if you will tell that cop, I did it, you're right, he might have mercy on you. Cop's not as good as God. But if you will tell God, you're right. I did it. He will have mercy on you. He's better than every cop there's ever been. He's more faithful than every cop there's ever been. He is merciful. Mary knows it and she expects it. He will forgive you. Don't go to God hoping he thinks you're a better driver than that. Don't go to God thinking. You might sway him into thinking you're a better person than what you are. Instead, expect his mercy. But, like we often do, we think this makes God soft and wimpy. I know you do. We think about it all the time, and we think he's a pushover, and we think that he's an enabler, and he just allows people to go out there and just do whatever they want, live however they want to, indifferent, no heart change, and just sin, 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 sin all they want because he's just rich in mercy. Well, notice how Mary explains this. Look back at verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him. I'm telling you, they tell us that Mary was like 14, right? That's what they say. They say Mary was this young virgin girl. Back then they got married a lot younger than we do now. She was this young lady. and Boy, she knew God. If you're 14 in here today, be like Mary. Know the truth. If you're 14 years old in here today, don't make a single excuse of why you don't know this and why you don't know that and how school's hard for you and why you don't like to read. No. If you're 14 in here today, be like Mary and know that God is a merciful God in heaven for those who fear him. My second point this morning is that receiving mercy is about responding with faith and fear. For for you kids using the listening page, Getting this mercy is for those that respond with faith and fear. This must be a point that we preach in our churches that response is critical. Salvation is not just something to know. It's not just something to think. It's not just an education that you receive. You don't just go through a class and get saved. For as much as you would like it to be, okay, I've walked to the front of the church, I've told them this, and I've prayed the prayer, and I went through a new member's class, and they told me to get baptized. So I got baptized, I did this, and they asked me to get a Bible, and I got a Bible, and now I'm trying to go to Bible study and all that. Is, is that enough? Okay, what else do I need to do? As much as we want it to be like that, it's not what it is is a response in your heart that says, I believe that. It's a response in your heart that believes that because in a healthy way, you now fear God. You've come to the place in your life where God cannot be ignored, he cannot be transgressed, he cannot be acted like he's not real and big and the most important thing in your life. You've come to the place in your life where whether anybody's looking or not, not, God reigns and you fear him in a healthy way. The way kids should fear their mom and dad, the the way people should fear their bosses and their companies in a healthy way. 
a reverence, a respect. I'm not talking about scared of them because they're bad. I'm talking about respecting them because they're so good. That's what Mary's talking about. And she says, his mercy is for those who fear him. The mercy of God creates in us a response of faith and fear. In other words, it must be received. The mercy of God, which is available, must be received. It must be embraced. In knowing that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, you have to go and get that. You have to say, I want that. You come to church and you hear this and you feel inside of you like, man, this is true. Man, we just prayed for the Hoovers and I felt right now going, I want them to feel deep inside of them that there are a group of people here that say, go do it. Get to that nation. Preach the gospel to them. Spend your lives laying it down and loving them so that somebody might believe this and may God use our lives to create that in them. You have to embrace the truth of God. When you hear the mercy about Christ coming out through Mary's song, you have to feel sitting there today, I need that mercy. Stop thinking about how good you are or how fine you are or how everything's going to be okay because you have optimism and start believing that Christ is a merciful God and embrace it. Trust him. Mary knew this so well. Look at verse 49. Listen how she speaks about this. God is not just this automatic savior. You don't do good and go to church and all of a sudden you get his mercy. That ain't it. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. Now notice, notice this. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Okay, so there's no mercy for them. I mean, they, they could always come back to mercy, but they don't have the mercy there. He scattered them. If you're prideful in your heart, if you're proud in your heart, you think you don't need mercy, you don't have it. You don't have it. Look at verse 52. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. Hey, you think you're good enough? You think you're great? You're on your throne? You think you got status and importance and significance? You call yourself mighty? He's going to bring you down. No mercy for you. But look what the rest of 52 says. He's exalted those of humble estate. Look at verse 53. He's filled the hungry with good things. But look here. The rich, he has sent away empty. You think you don't need anything? You can solve all your problems with your money? Your education's enough to make life good for you? You think you got it all together? God will push you away empty. No mercy for you. This is a song from a young teenage girl that knows the beauty of salvation through her God. Yes, there is mercy to whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. But that mercy comes to those who respond with faith and fear. And you see this with the characters in the story. I've already said what happened with Mary, right? The angel comes to her. It says she's troubled. Hey, what's going on here? Once they explain a little bit more, she trusts, she surrenders, and she believes. That's fearing him and receiving mercy. Think about Joseph, a little bit different. He had so much shame in his life. His girl that he'd not been with yet is pregnant. That feels terrible, I'm sure. And the angel comes to him and says to him, hey, don't divorce her. Stay with her. This is what I'm doing, Joseph. And Joseph believes. He submits himself in that moment. He trusts and obeys. He held his head high and dealt with shame for days. Because he knew mercy and embracing it. He knew what the real God was like in the Savior, and he accepted it. In contrast to that was King Herod. And I talked about this on Wednesday night. King Herod was a king. He had power and status and authority. And so people showed up at his palace and said, we're here to worship the king. And Herod goes, I am the king. And they said, no, there's a new one. He was just born. And we're here to worship him. And King Herod gets mad about it. Secretly tries to act like he wants to know what the Bible says about it. They tell him that the baby was born in Bethlehem. 
and he runs off to kill babies. You know what he didn't do? Submit himself to the mercy of God. He didn't embrace what God was like. He didn't embrace what God was doing. He didn't receive the salvation that came from God. He didn't understand how God and his mercy works to save people. He was still trying to show how great he was instead of submitting himself to how great God is. Number one, expecting his mercy. Number two, responding with faith and fear. Lastly, number three, look back to verse 50. This promise is for all generations. This is one of my favorite things to preach on, and I know that it's noon already. I feel like we need to preach this over and over and over again. And I can't tell you how many times already in my 20 years here at this church that we have preached on this. This is a message from the Bible that Mary knows. Look what it says in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Folks, the goal of God and the purpose of God never changes. No matter what year it is, no matter what generation we get into, no matter how much the world's changed, right? You just look back on our country's short history, and there were times where people went to church, and there were times where nobody went to church, and then there's times where people were back in church, and we started having revivals, and everybody's going to church, and now we're back into a day where they say nobody goes to church, and every time you talk to somebody from another church, they say, well, we can't get any young people to come to church, right? It's that sort of a sentiment that goes around in, 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 in regards to what God is doing in the world, but if you'll stop listening listen to what everybody else is saying, and you'll read your Bible, you will see that God, the merciful God who has mercy for those who fear him, is and has always been and will always be focused on his mercy being told to every generation. This should be our burden. This should be our heart. We need to think a whole lot less about all the things that we want in our lives for ourselves. We need to think a whole lot less about all the things that we want in our churches for ourselves. And we need to think a whole lot more about does the next generation know the mercy that I've received from my God? We need that conviction. We need that burden. I want to read just a few scriptures to you so you will see. This is not just Mary saying this. Again, Mary's Magnificat here, this song, is loaded with all the scripture that she's known her whole life. She was an expectant believer. She was anticipating that the saving God would send a Savior. Let me read to you just a few scriptures. And in every one of these, you're going to hear the, 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 the burden for, the gen, for generations. Psalm 45, 17. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. We don't hear people speak like that these days. I don't hear people speak much about the generations coming after them. I don't hear a lot of Christian people say, man, my kids, my kids, my kids. I want them to know Jesus, man. I want them to know the truth. I want them to know his mercy, man. My kids have got to know the mercy of God. Sometimes I hear people speak that way about their grandkids because we've lived so long not doing it that now at the end of our life we're kind of freaking out over it. Should be real honest about that, right? The Bible here is filled with burden for generations. Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. With this mouth, he says, I'm going to make sure the kids in the nursery know of his mercy. I'm going to make sure of it. Psalm 105, which we memorized the first six months of this year. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 103, 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Psalm 145, 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. That's several passages right there from the Psalms. But perhaps you remember that closing prayer doxology that comes at the end of Ephesians 3. 
Remember Ephesians is six chapters and the first three are heavy on theology and doctrine and the last three are heavy on practical teaching. And so at the end of chapter three, Paul breaks into a doxology, just a a statement of worship. Listen to it. This is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, the heart and prayer of the New Testament apostle is that the very thing we believe today, right now, this Sunday, we must be burdened that they know it for generations to come. Mary knows this. Mary, a 14-year-old, is singing this song. Young Mary is speaking about the mercy that God has for generation after generation after generation. Yes, it's true that times are changing so much that we don't know what to do with our young people. We don't know what to think about them. Our experiences from growing up are often so different. I think about it all the time, how much I used to play in the creek as a kid. I love playing in the creek. I'd catch lizards and turtles and minnows. I'd bring them home, and I'd put them in my little aquarium, and I'd forget to put a filter in there, and they'd be dead in a couple days. And I loved doing it, and I'd go do it again. And the longer I kept them alive, the more green algae got in there, and it would stink so bad, and my parents would tell me, you got to go clean it. But I loved doing that. I would get in the creek and catch everything that I could. Kids don't do that much. Kids don't do that stuff. Some, there's a few more country boys out there, but not as many. And that example, with a hundred other examples, has you thinking, And these kids aren't growing up the way I grew up. And when you start thinking about that, you're like, well, if it took me growing up the way I grew up to make me the way I am, and they're not growing up the way I grew up, so they're not going to turn out the way that I am, then how are they going to turn out, right? We've all had that. Well, my dad used to wake me up early and take me to work, and I had to do all this. And I remember every time I busted my knuckles and every time I hurt my back and every time my dad made me do this. And and if if dads aren't doing that anymore, then how are these kids going to turn out, right? That's the way everybody's thinking. I don't have an answer to that. We better get better at parenting. I know that. And things sure are changing. But you know what the Bible says that we don't have to question at all? They better know this. I don't know if you're going to teach them to mow grass. I don't know if you're going to teach them to work hard. I don't know if they're going to have your work ethic. I don't know if they're going to play in the creek. I don't know anything about how your kids are going to turn out. We don't. But I know that you, if you have young people in your life, must be burdened for them to know this mercy. Worry a whole lot less if they like watching the UK games. Worry a whole lot less if they know how to change the oil in their car because we're getting more and more to where nobody does it anyway. Worry less about that. And worry a whole lot more about do they know this? Do they know the mercy of God? If you're here today and your kids are here with you, praise the Lord for that. But do they know mercy as Mary speaks about it? If you're here today and your kids are, I mean, your grandkids are with you today, praise the Lord for that. But do they know the mercy that God has poured in your hearts? Those conversations, those examples of humility, that confession of sin, that modeled repentance, that true, genuine heart for God that has received mercy must be demonstrated and lived out to the generations after us. May we feel this. May we know that when Mary sings that one line from Luke 150, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. May your heart say, yes, God, I want that. And what better time for you and I to get focused on that than Christmas? Because I know that you desire so deeply for some special memories to be made. You want the kids around the Christmas tree You want to sing the songs. I got invited to a Christmas party last night. And at the Christmas party, somebody sat down at the piano and just started playing songs. And before you know it, there were all ages kind of standing around singing the Christmas songs. It was pretty cool. And one of my kids had told me a few days ago that they liked that song, Mary, Did You Know? They'd never heard it before. 
So I found the lyrics to the song, Mary, Did You Know? And I called one of my kids over, and they played the song, Mary, Did You Know? And we sang that there. Christmas is about memories like that it is. As we drove home last night, the kids were singing as loud as they could, jingle bells, and they were having a good time in the car. And I told Val, we're we're making some memories now with this. You know what memory we have the biggest opportunity to make? For me as a dad, to model for them that this God and his mercy is what is shaping everything I know about this season. Dads, I know you've never done it before. This Christmas season, sit them down, turn the TV off, and read these passages to them. It'll be awkward the first couple times, I know, but do it. Start a new tradition this year that says, listen, boys, Jesus is going to be real to me, and we're going to read this book. We're going to read Matthew 1 and 2. I want you to know about Joseph and know about Mary. We're going to read Luke 1 and 2. I want you to know about the shepherds. I want you to know about the wise men. I want you to know that when Jesus Christ came into the world, it changed everything, and his mercy is changing me. And say it to them every day. And do it again next year. And do it every Sunday as we show up here. And make it crystal clear that they may not have your work ethic because times have changed. They may not do everything that you used to be able to do. They may not swing a hammer. They may not know how to do a drill or chop wood or do anything that we wish that they could do. But a thousand years from now, we won't discuss the hammer or the work ethic. But we'll stand before the king. We will be with the lamb who died on the cross for our sins. We will be thinking about our responsibility to the generations. And it will be so clear on our hearts and minds that God gave us those kids so that they would know his mercy. Mary is exemplary to us that in her pregnancy cries out, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. May God use us to make that happen. For his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Mary's wonderful song. We thank you for mercy because you are so merciful to us. You will forgive us. And Father, we thank you for the burden and the responsibility that we need others to know it. Oh God, make this happen through us. Oh God, make this happen through us. May there be young people growing up fearing and faithful to Christ. Father, we thank you for Christmas season and for the Advent series and expecting you to be who you are. We believe you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we